it's really important to remember that the definition of athlete really can vary a lot, right? Like if you're alive and you have a body, you're an athlete. Even if you don't necessarily think of yourself in those terms, we all use our bodies to run around, to play with our kids, to like throw frisbees, to shot put your kid into the lake on a sunny Saturday. It's like we do all sorts of stuff. You don't have to be a professional athlete to know that sometimes tight muscles and tension mean your body needs some extra care. Yoga instructor Elena Chung specializes in working with professional athletes, guys like quarterback Russell Wilson, but she also works with us, everyday people who like to get outside and move. Elena's practice focuses on how mindful movement influences our nervous system. Her unique philosophy is featured in REI's new YouTube series, Deeply Moving. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas, Worth living. In her new YouTube series, Elena uses her quirky humor and her deep knowledge to share her passion for the mind body connection. That passion is what pushed her to become a yoga teacher in her early 20s. She saw that yoga can benefit athletes in unexpected ways. It can help with relaxation and recovery even refining certain motor skills and increasing our mobility. It's remarkable that Elena has embarked on a career working with athletes considering that as a kid, she considered herself pretty unathletic. Elena Chung, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. So with me today is my little dog, Inky. You might be able to hear her in the background at some point, so I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> she's here. She's snuggling with us. Hi, Inky. Okay, so let's just get into it. How did you discover yoga? Mm. So as a kid, I grew up in an environment that didn't really foster a sense of wonder uh, is a really simple way of saying it. And I had really severe allergies. So I was like basically never going outside. And I always considered myself really unathletic, even though my parents forced me to do martial arts from the age of five until I was 18. I really hated the whole experience. And so I think I just had a really poor relationship to the idea of not just my sense of autonomy, but even my own body. Like I didn't enjoy movement at all. And then I think when I was 18, I went away to college and finally started to explore in the same way that we all do uh, if we choose to take that path and we kind of leave our parents' nest. And when I was in college is when I really got into rock climbing. And I think that was the first time I had an experience with movement and fitness in a way that felt empowering or something that I really enjoyed and I chose to do it and to be there. And then from there, things just kind of started to cascade on its own. So the way that I got into yoga actually was I sprained my ankle rock climbing pretty bad. So I couldn't do any climbing for a long time. And my then roommate at the time dragged me to our local yoga studio. And I really hated it because it was so hard and I was so tight. And I was like, "This who would subject themselves to this? And so at first it was like I hated yoga because it was hard. And then I started to really love it because it was challenging, not just physically, but also the way that it asks you to be more introspective. And it asks you to kind of do the work of self-reflection and Basically, I think what really changed for me was that I was able to find movement practices that I really loved and really enjoyed in a more visceral way. So no one had to tell me to do it. And and from there, it was just like, oh, then I started to be inspired to get into weightlifting and to get into running because 
I was able to finally find ownership and empowerment over my body and myself. When you first took that yoga class, you didn't like it, which I think is pretty common for a lot of people. How did you finally come to like yoga? Because I know your your entry, like many people, is they don't love yoga at first. It's kind of like running. Like not a lot of people love running at first. Totally. I also hated running at first and now I like it and I can't believe that happened. Although I guess that's kind of my track record with things. <laughs> uh, but with yoga, I think the biggest turning point for me wasn't just the physical benefits, but when I realized the practice of yoga teaches us how to sit with being uncomfortable. So when I realized that when we feel a sensation, whether that's discomfort physically or even emotionally or spiritually, we have a choice and that can either be your immediate visceral reaction or you can have a response. And there's a really big difference between those two things. And I think that was the biggest turning point for me where I was like, okay, this is a practice that really goes beyond the physical. And I think once you kind of unveil these things in your mind, it's really hard to turn back. And so from there, it was just something where I had to keep pursuing it. Like what else is there to learn? Not just about this really beautiful and deep practice, but also about myself. Elena found her first yoga class pretty uncomfortable, but she was intrigued by the challenge of it. Despite her busy college schedule, Elena kept showing up to yoga whenever she could. And after graduation, she decided to take her practice to the next level. So you were probably in your 20s when you discovered yoga. Is that right? Yeah, I was college. I was 19 years old. I remember. Me too. How funny. (laughs) Same age. That's fascinating. And so how did you go from being a student to being a teacher? Mm. So in school, I studied, I got a double degree in biology and psychology because my interest was in studying animal behavior. So when I graduated, I studied bats in the San Juan Islands. And then I went, I moved to the Florida Keys and studied dolphins. And um, these were unpaid internships, which, you know, I have mixed feelings on (laughs) on unpaid internships. But anyway, after that, I was like, okay, I need to figure out what it is that I really want to do because I can't sustain myself. So I was really interested in yoga and I wasn't sure if I wanted to teach, but I decided to take a yoga teacher training locally in Seattle. So on the day I was going to graduate my yoga teacher training, my teacher asked the room, who wants to do me a favor? And I raised my hand not knowing what it was. And I said, me, I'll do it. And she said, congratulations, everyone. This is what you get when you volunteer. Elena is going to teach my class tomorrow at 930. And it was the day after I graduated my training. And I remember just being like, oh, fuck yeah. And I was nervous, but I think that I tend to rise up to challenges fairly okay sometimes. So I taught my first class the next day and then I never looked back. Wow, that's pretty uh, ballsy and I'm impressed. (laughs) It must have gone really well. I think it's really normal that it feels nerve wracking. I definitely felt the same way. But I think when I taught my first class, you know, that kind of just deep knowing feeling that you're in the right place. That's kind of how it felt for me. Like I was so present. I felt like this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And and when I feel that feeling, I tend not to question it. So it just kind of went forth from there. I love it. I felt like that podcasting, not teaching yoga, but I'm <laughs> All hats off to you. So yoga sounds like it's become your entire career. I mean, how did, that was a wild idea to become a yoga teacher. How did you do it? How did you make it happen? Like, 
when you pursue a wild idea, there's fear of failure. There's, there's just fear. There's how do you make it happen financially? Yeah. How did you make it happen? All right. Get, get ready for a long story. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so when I started teaching, I was young enough to be dumb enough to not think of the the failure part almost, right? I was young enough where I was like, there's not a lot of consequences at this point is what it felt like. Um, And I also felt confident enough in the fact that this is what I wanted to do that I was at that time kind of willing to to put on hold any fears about the future. Although I think it is really important to say that it's not an easy world to be in, both yoga and fitness. Because essentially you're your own boss. You're considered like an entrepreneur. And with the state of the wellness and the fitness world, there's unfortunately, there's a lot of issues around the way that teachers and instructors are treated and paid. And so for me, I was really, I I will say it, like I was really lucky to have friends and family who helped support me when I was starting out. I had a friend who rented to me her spare room in Bellevue for like $300 a month, which is like extremely cheap (laughs) in Seattle. And I kind of just had enough of a support system to be able to pursue this thing that I really loved. I was really frugal and I was really putting my my nose to the grindstone basically I took on tons of classes I said yes to everything I had a lot of that endless yoga teacher energy that you get when you first start teaching saying yes to everything for me meant taking on the armpit of yoga classes and teaching like a 3 p.m on a Saturday and it meant subbing classes all over town I lived in uh in Bellevue or the east side and I would drive up to like 30 minutes away in every direction to teach 6 a.m. classes, Saturday 3 p.m. classes, sub this last minute class over here. And, you know, just by the nature of saying yes to everything, you meet a lot of people and you meet a lot of students and it really opens up your perspective as far as just having your world opened up basically. And so I just continued to evolve. And as a yoga teacher, I always felt like I wasn't quite the same as others, particularly for my age when I started teaching around 23 or 24. Most younger yoga teachers really are inclined towards that more fast-paced cardio flow. Nothing wrong with that. But I've always been the type of teacher who really likes a more slower, introspective practice that focuses on the details. And I bring this up because what that meant was I met a lot of friction in some of the more popular yoga studios when I I really, really aspired to teach there. And I was like, this is the dream. I want to teach at these cool studios. And when I finally would get a chance to be there, I realized I wasn't valued for what I brought. Um, I had a studio owner tell me, just because you care about anatomy doesn't mean anyone else cares. So stop talking about it. And I was like, this is how it's going to be, huh? And so like all that to say, I had to really like figure out my values and stand true to it as I, as I maneuvered through the yoga world. What that also meant was taking a lot of continuing education to feel like I could stand on my own two feet in terms of having a different perspective. You know those fast-paced yoga classes where there's music bumping and the teacher's wearing a microphone headset? Well, those classes can be really fun, but it's not the type of yoga that Elena usually teaches. She's certified in a practice called yoga medicine. It trains teachers to understand the body on a more physiological level. Her classes combine several different practices that draw from a biomechanical and an anatomical perspective. Elena's goal is to help athletes use yoga to enhance their performance. So you teach yoga for athletes. How is that different from different types of yoga? So 
That's a really great question. First of all, I want to say there's a really big difference in yoga for athletes and athletic yoga. So yoga for athletes is really designed or in theory the purpose ought to be to meet athletes where they're at and to meet their needs for their sport. So when I think of yoga for athletes, I'm thinking of how is it that yoga helps someone perform better at their sport, knowing that yoga is not the main intention for why they are doing yoga, right? They're not doing yoga to become a better yoga student necessarily. Um, Whereas athletic yoga is more doing yoga to improve your athletic capabilities. But when you're working with athletes already, they have all the tools in their tool belt to get better at their specific sport. And what they need from you is to really round out their wellness routine with things like, um, like recovery practices, maybe with mobility, with mindset, with breath work, uh, meditation, all that stuff. That's probably the biggest difference. Or things like having ankle mobility. If you're a climber, a runner, hip mobility, which I think is so important like little parts of our body that we sometimes ignore. Totally. Yeah. So I think yoga for athletes is also really, it really tickles my brain because I think to be a good coach for athletes, you have to be able to think really specifically. You have to be able to consider how their body and their joints will load in different orientations to gravity. You have to think of it in terms of velocity. You have to think of it in terms of the specific position that they play. You have to think of it in terms of their current training cycle, where they're at in the season. So do you have any stories of what yoga has done for any of your clients that you can share? Yes. With the clients that I've worked with, I think one, there's a couple huge takeaways that kind of live in different realms. So on the physical level, with the athletes that I've worked with, what has been reported back to me is that practicing yoga has really helped them feel more confident in their movement. They feel like through the practice that we've done together, they're able to kind of let go of the fear of injury on the field, right? They feel confident. They feel like, okay, I've worked this. I know what this is supposed to feel like. I've trained my body. My body knows how to handle things. And I think that state of mind goes a really long way. And when it comes to the physical practice, Even something as simple as just finding more flexibility, finding more mobility, finding sort of the nuance of your own movement, and then feeling like you're able to tackle your weakest link is a a really strong mental boost. And this kind of overlaps with the whole mental game piece. But again, when we come into our yoga practice, it's a really great space to practice being uncomfortable. So for a lot of athletes I've worked with, I will ask them to visualize things that would normally get their heart rate pumping, right? Or things that would normally scare them when they're competing. And then we practice breathing through it. We practice like reminding ourselves that we can find control. And I think that that's huge. And then also giving them the tools in terms of really simple breathing exercises to calm the mind, you know, between plays that can make a really big difference. I think with athletes, it's super important to remember that a little bit goes a long way. And when it comes to our yoga practice, your yoga practice doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be athletic, particularly if you are trying to compete or you're you're engaging in really intense physical activity in whatever hobby that you do or whatever sport that you play. Just remember your yoga practice is the space for everything else. So it should feel more complimentary instead of more of the same thing. Hmm. What is the breathing practice that you do most often with clients? Is there one that we can try on the podcast right now? Oh, yeah. I love this one. I can, yeah, let's walk through it. It's really simple. So basically, you just find a comfortable position. You can be seated. You can be lying down. And what we're just going to do is do a two-count inhale and a four-count exhale. So 
just elongating the exhale to help stimulate the vagus nerve and parasympathetic nervous system state. So wherever you are, you can just make yourself comfortable and then close your eyes and then just start by exhaling all the air out of your lungs. Then we'll take an inhale through your nose for two, one, exhale, four, three, two, one, inhale, two, one, exhale, four, three, two, one, inhale, two, exhale, four, let's do one more, inhale, two, and exhale for four. When we come back, Elena talks more about yoga for athletes and the overlap between yoga and outdoor sports. Plus, you'll hear more about her YouTube series, Deeply Moving. In her work with professional athletes, Elena has had to explore the boundaries of the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. As a refresher, the sympathetic nervous system is in charge of that fight or flight mode. It's something athletes use a lot to push their physical limits. The parasympathetic nervous system does the opposite. It protects the body and restores a sense of calm. Elena learned about all of this in her yoga medicine studies, and she implements it in her work with high-profile athletes like Russell Wilson. So I heard you've worked with some amazing athletes like Russell Wilson. That is so cool. Yeah, that was definitely an experience. I was his full-time yoga teacher for the 2019 NFL season. So I only worked with him and traveled with him and was his yoga teacher. And in addition to working with him, I've worked with a lot of climbers locally, worked with Ironman competitors, you know, marathon runners. With a lot of my athletes that I've worked with, one of the the things that I hear the most is actually about how relaxed they feel after yoga. For a lot of athletes, particularly as you get into the upper echelons of athleticism, you get into more of a competitive arena. It's often that they live kind of on the edge, right? It behooves them as athletes to be able to go to the edge without falling off. So they're really learning to ride this line, which tends to put them in this sympathetic nervous system state, which is what you need in order to perform really well. However, it's not necessarily ideal for your body or for your brain to be constantly living in that mode. It's really about this kind of seamless transition back and forth between the parasympathetic nervous system state and sympathetic nervous system state. So yoga does a really great job, particularly with an adept teacher, in taking you from sympathetic into parasympathetic state to promote recovery, which is kind of the biggest part of, of performance is how well you're recovered, right? It's like how much bandwidth do you have? Yeah, feeling relaxed is a huge part of being an athlete. Like it's really hard to climb a mountain when you're stressed. I mean, you need to be focused, but you also need to be relaxed. Probably same with playing football or anything else. How does yoga and outdoor adventure create the same state of mind? I love this question. So I think that the yoga practice really asks us to be present. At least it teaches us in theory. It gives us the tools to learn how to be present and in the moment. And I think for a lot of outdoor sports and outdoor adventures, it's almost required that you're present. 
like I think of it in terms of climbing because that's what I do the most. But it's like if I'm sport climbing and leading something, I can't be thinking about like, what am I going to have for dinner later? (laughs) Right. You have to be really in tune with the moment. There is no room to be distracted. But I was reading this study recently that basically suggested that people spend, first of all, a lot of their time daydreaming, thinking about either the past or the future. And they kind of did the study asking subjectively, like, when do you feel happiest? And the study basically shows or supports the idea that when we're in the present moment, that's when we tend to perceive ourselves as being the happiest. And I think that feeling is something that we chase often, right? It's like the reason that people are interested in outdoor sports or they're interested in yoga, whatever it is that helps you be in the present moment, is a huge thing. And so I think that's kind of the biggest overlap in that state of mind between yoga and outdoor sports. And yoga in particular gives us a safer arena in which to engage with that. And when we can practice these tools within the context of a yoga practice, then I think we find that that's a lot more accessible when we're out doing our sport. You said yoga is a safer space to work through discomfort. What do you mean by that? What I mean in a really specific example is say you come into a posture that's really challenging. Maybe it's a really deep stretch, like pigeon pose was a great one. Great example for me because I really hated it when I first started doing it. And when you start to feel that discomfort, you can start to recognize what your natural inclination is. Maybe it's to shift or maybe it's to come out of it or maybe it's to grit your teeth and bear it. And so we learn a lot through the physical practice not only our own baseline, which is really important for creating any kind of progress, right? Like you have to know where you're at in order to move forward. So we're able to kind of establish what our physical and mental baseline is from the way that we react and respond to postures. If you allow yourself to sit with that, and if you allow your yoga practice to be meaningful in that way, you're able to learn a lot about where it is that you're coming from. And then from there, once you realize, okay, I'm uncomfortable for this, my natural reaction is to run away, it's to fight it's to curl up into a ball and freeze. You can then start to use breath work and meditation to kind of work your way through that. So I think it can be challenging to know, like, is this a discomfort I should sit with? Or is this a discomfort that's more of a red flag? It's something that I should move away from. And I think the answer really lies in, first of all, the quality of the physical sensation, and also understanding your own tendencies for for how you react, right? So it's like, If I'm in a pose, so this is speaking physically, right? So if it's like painful, like the thing where you're sitting in and it doesn't go away with time, that's a really great clue to move away from it. But if you're in something and it simply feels uncomfortable, like a stretch, then that's a really great reason to stay and to breathe with it. Again, just a really great opportunity to play around with, okay, why is this bringing up thoughts for me? Why is this bringing up reactions? And then most importantly, like, what do I want to do about it? And it's such, what I love about the yoga practice for this in particular is that it provides such a great arena to practice skills that you would want to use when you're on the mountain, when you're skiing, when you're snowboarding, climbing, whatever, windsurfing, underwater basket weaving, (laughs) and you feel stressed, right? Like you can practice those tools in yoga, like deep, steady breathing or a mindfulness practice. Trying new outdoor activities can be uncomfortable, especially as adults. And it's not just because new activities can be physically challenging. We also worry about looking stupid or even hurting ourselves. But like Elena says, doing yoga isn't just about improving a yoga practice. It's also about preparing your body so it can do new sports or outdoor adventures. Elena has worked with a lot of accomplished athletes, but at the end of the day, 
You're an athlete if you move your body, no matter what that looks like. Talk to me a little bit about your movement as medicine philosophy. I know it's pretty broad, but I really like that term. And I like how you, I've read an Instagram post about how you view movement and I really liked it. Yeah. So this phrase that movement is medicine can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Uh, The way that I think about it is that inherently movement is a really healing practice because our bodies were designed evolutionarily to move. And in modern society, sedentariness is really the standard and it's the baseline. And when we think of it in that way, it means that doing any kind of movement is really better than doing nothing. What that also means is the more that we start to engage with a movement practice, that's when paying attention to the details becomes really important. So I think sometimes we get caught in this hamster wheel or we get caught in this chicken or the egg scenario where it's like, well, I know that I need to move more, but I'm afraid of doing it wrong. Or there are certain trains of thought where it's like you have to do it this way or you're not doing it right. And it's really important to remember that when you're working from nothing, like any amount of movement is good because it starts to just open up these doors for you that you might not have ever walked through and finding something that you enjoy I think is probably the biggest key to really um, embarking on a movement practice and then again when it comes to form and alignment all of that starts to come into play the more you engage with movement so those details become more important the more you kind of walk on that journey and on that path and I like how you say it's, it's not just about running or walking like movement can be dance movement can be yoga movement can be Wiggling your body. It can be so many things, which I think is so cool. Totally. Yeah. I think people, and you know, rightfully so, we tend to think that movement comes in these really specific packages. Like I have to lift weight three times a week or I have to go running five times a week. And if I don't do it once, then I've screwed it all up and I can't do it anymore. But the idea, again, is like you said, it can be running, it can be walking, it can be like dancing naked in your kitchen (laughs) or whatever it is that you want to do that helps you feel joy. I think that's something that we forget about often is just enjoying it, having it be something that you love to do, not just have it be something on your to-do list. Well, much to my neighbor's chagrin, I dance naked in my kitchen just about every (laughs) night. Sort of embarrassing, but if they happen to walk by and the window's open, that's on them, not on me. That's right. (laughs) So you're coming out with Deeply Moving a new video series with REI. Tell us about it. What is it? Who's it for? So Deeply Moving is a yoga and a movement series that I'm creating with REI to live on their YouTube channel. I'm so, so freaking excited about it. Like every time I say it out loud, I get this like big smile on my face. Um, But basically, it's going to be a mix of things because I really want to go beyond simply offering yoga as a practice, even though it's a huge chunk of the channel. We're also going to do some lectures and some guest speakers and kind of explore movement in a more holistic way. So the show first and foremost is meant to kind of fill a gap that I've seen a lot in the online yoga sphere. The biggest compliment that I ever received as a yoga teacher is one of my friends, Lenise, at the climbing gym. She took my yoga class and afterwards, like way later, I was like, can you write a little testimonial for my website? And she goes, sure. And I just get this one sentence that says, I hate yoga, but I love Elena's class. (laughs) 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 And I just feel like that is the epitome of who I am as a teacher, where I feel like my teaching style, for whatever reason, tends to speak to a certain population who might not otherwise see themselves as yoga practitioners. And I... teach that way, not because I want to dilute the tradition of yoga, but because I think that yoga is really meant to meet us where we're at. And 
that's kind of the energy that I'm hoping comes through in this YouTube series, which is to remind people that we all have a right to enjoy movement and that yoga is something that can be really helpful and really beneficial regardless of the way that you choose or or to what level you want to engage with it. So there will be a spread of shorter yoga practices that will be specific like yoga for runners, yoga for climbers, yoga for hikers. We'll start to get even more specific like yoga for happy feet and stuff like that. And what's really nice is that even though these apply to specific sports and to specific types of athletes, it's really important to remember that the definition of athlete really can vary a lot, right? Like if you're alive and you have a body, you're an athlete. Even if you don't necessarily think of yourself in those terms, we all use our bodies to run around, to play with our kids, to like throw frisbees, to shot put your kid into the lake on a sunny Saturday. It's like we do all sorts of stuff. So even though the classes are, are specifically titled and I believe that anyone who identifies as a runner or a climber will get a lot out of it, I think that it will also speak to a more general population. What's the biggest thing yoga has taught you? Like, what are a couple of things that, you know, you've really learned from yoga? It seems like you've gained a lot of wisdom from this practice. I think my biggest takeaways from being engaged with the yoga world and the yoga practice is the practice of self-compassion. And I think that's just something that I grew up not understanding. Like, my childhood was was decidedly anti-self-compassion. And I grew up with a lot of self-judgment and I held on to that for a long time. And I recognized how miserable it made me and how it, it made me treat other people. And I would say that yoga was really the main thing that allowed me to engage with those thoughts in a way that didn't feel overwhelming. So I was able to kind of pick apart and engage with my own inner dialogue and my own sense of self in a way that felt really empowering. And through this journey of trying to find self-compassion, it certainly changes the way that I treat other people. Having compassion for ourselves doesn't just make us feel better. It also gives us the space to have more compassion for other people. I really like that Elena's message is about using yoga as a tool to help us move through discomfort. The practice grounds us and encourages us to focus on the present moment. It's something I think we can all benefit from. Elena, thank you so much for coming on the show. I love your movement philosophy, and I've really been enjoying watching your videos and practicing your techniques. You can watch Deeply Moving on the REI YouTube channel. If you want to learn more about Elena, you can go to her website, elenashapeshifts.com, or follow her on Instagram at elenashapeshifts. That's E-L-E-N-A-S-H-A-P-E-S-H-I-F-T-S. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger. And this episode was written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas of Puddle Creative and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we love it when you follow the show, rate it and review it wherever you listen remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. <laughs>